Father, we just take a moment to quiet our hearts and just uh, become aware again uh, that we are here in your presence, uh, that you are with us, that you're listening when we sing and when we pray. Um, Father, we want to take a moment uh, before we come to God's word, we want to, we want to pray uh, for people who are on our hearts and situations that uh, maybe are on our minds. Father, we want to pray very especially this morning for uh, maybe people who are on our minds and hearts who are having a really difficult time at the minute, uh, for whom life is a bit overwhelming, um, who are facing challenges. Um, we pray for those we know who are dealing with sickness. Uh, we pray for those who are walking with bereavement and loss in their lives. Father, we pray for those this morning who are feeling really isolated and alone and disconnected. For those who are struggling with their mental health and with anxiety and depression. Father, we pray for those who are struggling with financial challenges this morning, with the loss of jobs and um, businesses uh, closing and who are really worried about finances at this time of year. Um, Father, we pray for them. Let me just take a moment in the quiet to name before you uh, maybe some of the individuals and families who are particularly on our hearts. And we just lift them up to you this morning. Father, we pray into each of these situations that we're aware of, would you bring your gentle presence? Would you bring hope? Would you bring comfort? Would you bring healing? Would you bring joy? And Father, we want to take a moment to pray for our world in these challenging times. Um, we want to pray as you've encouraged us to. Uh, we want to pray for those in government and authority, those who are making really difficult decisions at the minute. We pray you would give them wisdom, you'd give them insight, you'd give them courage. Father, we pray for doctors and scientists who are uh, doing battle against this virus. We pray for breakthrough. Father, we pray for those in our local community making difficult decisions about business and decisions that affect the lives of many people. Um, again, we pray for wisdom and insight. And would you help people find a way through? Would you give new ideas and creative ideas to people uh, as we look for a way forward? Father, even as we mention some of these things, we're just aware of so many needs in our world, so many needs in the lives of people we care about, so many needs in our own lives and families. And so we just want to confess again, we need you. Oh, how we need you. And we ask that again you would come and draw near to us and give us your grace and give us your help in our time of need. And Father, I pray for all of us now as we come to your word. Um, I want to pray, as you've done so many times before, would you speak to us by your word and by your spirit, words that will bring us life and set us free and do us good at a really deep place in our lives. Would you speak to where we're living right now? Would you speak to the depths of us? And help us this morning to be listening, not only with our ears, but also with our hearts. 
uh, for the things that you want to say to us. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we're coming uh, back to the passage that we, we looked at last week. We're, we're slowing down in these days of Advent um, to linger a little bit on just a few words from Isaiah chapter 9. Um, so I want to read again um, just these very familiar words, but uh, just to remind us again of the context here in Isaiah. Uh, so let's read together uh, from the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9. And it begins, as we said last week, with a context of gloom and distress and darkness. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then jump down with me to the end of the passage in verse 7, just to remind ourselves of how it ends. And it ends like this, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So if it began with gloom and distress and darkness, it ends with a kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness. But what is it that's the turning point in the middle? What is it that gets us from that beginning to that end? It's this in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Um, the, the child at the centre of this passage um, is given these four powerful names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Um, and last week we were focusing on the first name, Wonderful Counselor, um, and this week we want to zoom in and focus on the second one. Uh, he will be called Mighty God. Um, that, that phrase can also be translated as Warrior God. Just take a moment to sort of let that settle in. He will be called Mighty God. He will be called Warrior God. And I wonder when you hear that phrase, Mighty God, Warrior God, uh, what kind of images and thoughts come to your mind? Um, I'm guessing most of the thoughts that come to our mind are really big. Uh, we think immediately of God as creator, bringing the cosmos into being with a word, holding the oceans in his hands, holding mountains in his hand, holding everything in existence uh, by the power of his word. Um, our thoughts when we think about mighty God are just big thoughts that kind of blow our minds a little bit. Um, I think of the words... Uh, I love in Psalm 24 that say, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Right? Those are the kind of phrases that uh, come to mind. Uh, maybe the most famous passage in the Bible in thinking about God as the warrior God um, comes in Exodus 15, just after uh, the people have passed through the Red Sea and the Egyptian chariots have been drowned in the water. And Moses leads the people in song on the banks of the, the Red Sea. And what do they sing? They sing, 
The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. Right? So there's God as warrior God. There's the mighty God uh, defeating uh, the enemies of the people of God uh, by the power of his might, hurling them into the sea. So I wonder immediately, um, can you see why there's a puzzle as we, we think about the passage in Isaiah? We need to pause and notice how strange this is, that Isaiah speaks of the birth of a child. And then he says, he will be called mighty God, warrior God. And maybe immediately we wonder, how can a little child be called the mighty God? Um, How do we hold together the image of the warrior God who fights for his people and defeats their enemies with the image of the baby in the manger? How do you hold those two things together? The one who, as one of our carols says, was little, weak, and helpless. How do you hold together warrior God and little, weak, and helpless? Um, As I was thinking about this and reflecting on it, um, I remembered a conversation that I'd had uh, with our friend Glenn Scrivener when he was here in Corian for the mission. Um, And Glenn was talking about how whenever we talk to kids about God, we often focus a lot on God being big and strong and mighty. That, that seems to be where we go a lot with our kids' songs and so on. So some of you may have uh, grown up or lived with uh, the Veggie Tales singing, God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV, right? So the bigness of God gets big play. Or as the very well-known chorus goes, our God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do. Um, And of course, it's really good that we teach kids that, and it's true and good and right. But uh, as Glenn was chatting to me, he was wondering, uh, maybe in focusing on the bigness and the, the strongness and the mightiness of God, we can sometimes, in talking to our kids, miss something really vital that lies at the very heart of the gospel, that this same God chose to come and be born as a little child. And so Glenn, being the playful person that he is, wrote a second verse to that chorus that we often teach our kids. So the first verse says, God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. And Glenn's second verse says, our God is so small, so weak, and so helpless, there's nothing our God will not do for you. Right? There's the two things held together. How do we hold those together in our minds? The warrior God, the Lord mighty in battle, and the child in the manger. Um, Whenever God came into our world as a little child, he hadn't abandoned his role as the warrior God who fights for his people. This is how he fights for us. This is how he defeats our enemies and brings us into freedom. And we've got to kind of pause and just go, what a strange way to fight He doesn't come with an army. He doesn't lead a political movement. He doesn't run a worldwide propaganda campaign. He doesn't use the weapons of this world at all. He's born in poverty and obscurity, surrounded by farm animals and laid in a feeding trough. 
He lives his life in the backwaters of Galilee, a carpenter and then an itinerant preacher and a friend of sinners. And he dies the death of a common criminal, rejected by the powerful, thrown away, discarded on a hill outside the city. And yet written over it, this is the mighty God. I actually tried just writing the words on the manger to try to get myself to pause and think about this. This is the mighty God. This is the warrior God. This is how he defeats the powers of darkness. Um, I don't know quite how to do justice to this as a theme, uh, even this morning. Uh, We kind of just need to sit in quiet and kind of wonder at this a little bit. Um, But I want to think with you about this question. If it's true that God has come to fight for us as the mighty God, as the warrior God, through this birth and this life and this death, um, then I want to think about this question. Um, Who are the enemies that threaten us? Um, For the people of Israel in the time of Moses, in that famous story I referred to, they knew who their enemies were. It was Pharaoh and his armies and those who had enslaved them for generations. But what about for you and I? Who are the, the enemies that we need the warrior God to come and fight on our behalf? against. It says in Ephesians 6, famously, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against human beings. But what does it say? Our battle is against the powers of this dark world. I don't know if you've ever thought about that phrase. The New Testament actually talks a lot about the powers of darkness or the powers of evil. Um, I feel like I should pause at this moment and say, For anybody watching or listening not from Northern Ireland, whenever I say the powers, I mean what other people might call the powers. Um, It's one of our Northern Irish words that we say a little oddly, the powers. Um, But what are the dark powers? What are the powers of darkness that we battle against? What are the enemies? Who are the enemies that threaten us and surround us and hold us captive? And how does this child in the manger come and fight, fight for us against them? And so I want to name with you this morning um, four, I think in the New Testament there are four big powers. There are lots of lesser ones as well, but there are four big powers that are our enemies, that the Christ child comes uh, to fight on our behalf um, against. And I want to name them with you this morning. Um, Advent is a good time for us to, to name the darkness and the things that threaten us as we prepare for the good news uh, of Christmas. So the first one is this. Um, the first uh, power enemy is the power of sin. Um, this one is an enemy within us. Um, I think we, we misunderstand sin if we think of sin just as being something in our external behavior. Uh, we sometimes teach children that sin is doing and saying bad things, uh, but I don't think that does justice to it. Sin, the Bible talks about sin as a dark power that can entangle us and enslave us. So in 1 Peter 2, Peter talks about our desires which wage war against your soul. It's not quite a striking phrase. There are distorted desires within us which war, wage war against your soul. Sin is a power that prevents us from being the people we were created to be prevents us from being the people we want to be in our best moments. Um, It's a power that drags us down and holds us back and holds us captive. We always need to say, 
Sin can be obvious or it can be hidden. It can be disreputable or it can be very respectable. Uh, You can end up drunk in a ditch like the younger brother in the parable Jesus told. Or you can end up frozen in self-righteousness and anger and pride like the older brother. Sin has many faces. But whatever your struggle against sin, whatever my struggle against sin right now, we want to declare this this morning as part of our um, the message of Advent and the message of Christmas. Jesus has come to wage war against sin, to break its power and to throw it, hurl it into the heart of the sea. And if you ask him, he will come and fight for you in that battle. Uh, what did the angel announce in the Christmas story? You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Not only forgiveness is spoken of there, I think, but the breaking of the power of sin in our lives. Jesus can remove that sense of inevitability that often is written over our lives, that we're going to fail again and fall again in the same way again and again. I wonder, do you ever have that feeling? You can have that feeling of inevitability. Jesus can come and break that inevitability. He can come and set his people free. Later in First Peter, uh, Peter writes, he himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why? So that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Right? He, he's come to defeat this enemy, uh, to fight on our behalf and to set us free. So that's the first power, power uh, that Jesus has come uh, to fight against. The second one is this. Um, the power of the world. Um, if, if sin is a, a power within us, here's an enemy that's outside ourselves, that's all around us. Um, and I'm guessing as we look around the world today, uh, as you look at the news headlines, as you think about what's going on in our world, um, it's not hard to find things that make us feel troubled or threatened. And you and I may have slightly different, a different take on where the biggest threats are. It'd be interesting to talk about that. What do you think are the biggest threats in our world uh, that are coming at us? And yet it kind of seems true at the minute that as people talk, many Christians seem to have a sense of a kind of darkness encroaching, of shadows encroaching in our world. Maybe not, not just Christians, but others as well. Um, I don't think that feeling is unique to our generation. Uh, Many times in history, God's people have felt the shadows closing in. We can overestimate the uniqueness um, of our own time. I found myself a lot recently hearing the words of a song playing in my head that said, every generation thinks it's the end of the world. Um, I think think that's true. Um, But um, certainly that's a feeling that many people have today. The shadows deepening, the, the, the darkness encroaching. And it's really easy whenever we feel like that, when we feel threatened like that, to lose our nerve and to take up the weapons of this world to fight, um, maybe not with guns and swords and armies, but maybe with political power and legal battles and media propaganda wars and really aggressive words to humiliate our enemies and defeat them. And I find myself wondering if we quiet ourselves and listen for that, that one who doesn't raise his voice in the street that we talked about last week. I wonder, can we hear Jesus say to us what he said to Peter 
put away your sword. Um, This is not how our warrior God fights the battle. He fights in the strangest of ways. This humble birth in Bethlehem, this backwater life in Galilee, this shameful death outside Jerusalem, this is how he overcomes the world. So as Jesus was about to go to the cross, he said to his troubled, scared disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And how does he do it? He does it like this, this manger, this life, this death. Um, And so you and I can sing, as we sometimes do, do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. How do we know that? Because of this birth in the manger, this life in Galilee, this death on the cross and the resurrection that followed. Um, So the first power that Jesus fights on our behalf against is sin within. The second is the world that threatens us from outside. Um, The third one is this, is the power of death. And maybe sometimes this is the enemy we fear the most, this one that sort of lies at the end of our journey. Um, So much of human life can be lived under a cloud of the fear of death, running away from it, trying not to think about it or talk about it, living in denial of it. Um, And I found myself often recently wondering if perhaps one of the strange gifts of this difficult year um, is that it has stripped away our illusions and it has shown us what was always true, which is that we are fragile and mortal. As the Bible says, that our lives are like grass and the wind can blow and the grass is blown away in a moment. Um, And if you and I wonder, how do we live with that awareness and not live in constant fear? Then the answer is the same again. We look to the child in the manger. We look to the man on the cross and we declare to each other, Jesus has come to defeat death itself and to set us free from the fear of death. Jesus passed through death itself and came out the other side, as he says in Revelation, saying, I was dead, but look, I am alive forever, and I have the keys of death and the grave. I always love that moment. Jesus has picked the pocket of death, and he has changed the nature of death, and so death is still an enemy, and we still grieve the losses that it brings. But Jesus has removed its sting, and now death has become a doorway into more life. That's why we're able to sing like we were singing earlier. On that day when my, uh, my oh, I, w- I shouldn't try to quote songs, should I? It always goes wrong. On that day when my strength is fading, the end draws near and my time has come. Still, my soul will sing your praise unending. The song doesn't stop. The song goes right through death and beyond. I love these words in Hebrews 2. Speaking about Jesus, it says, because we are flesh and blood, he shared in our humanity. Right There's him coming as a baby at Bethlehem. He shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus comes to fight on our behalf against death and the fear of death and to set us free from those. 
But the, the, the verses from Hebrews mentioned are final, the final power that I want to mention, which is the power of the one we call Satan or the devil, our enemy. Um, this is the invisible enemy who lies behind and beneath all the others. He prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. He seeks to sabotage our lives. He masquerades as an angel of light to deceive God's people. And you and I are naive if we don't pay attention to him and his tricks. We must not underestimate our enemy. And yet the thing I want to say louder than that this morning is we must not overestimate him either. We must not be intimidated by him because he is no match for the child in the manger and the man on the cross. Um, In Revelation 12, uh, which I've talked about before, is the strangest Christmas sermon in the Bible. The world is threatened by a fearsome dragon with seven heads. But then, at the key moment in the story, a child is born. And as a result of the birth of the child and what happens after, the dragon is thrown down and defeated. John writes in 1 John 3, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason Jesus came as a baby, the reason he lived this life, the reason he died that death, the reason he rose and ascended was to destroy the devil's work. As Jesus went towards the cross, um, he said more than once things like this, the prince of this world will be cast out. The prince of this world now stands condemned. And so Satan is a defeated enemy and we should be on our guard against him, but we don't need to be intimidated and afraid. Um, That's why we can sing, um, God rest ye merry gentlemen and gentlewomen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Saviour was born on Christmas Day. Why? To save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Uh, Jesus has come to fight against all the powers of darkness, of sin and the world and death and the devil. Um, It's good in these days of Advent uh, to be honest. And maybe you can find a quiet moment later today uh, to to sit and reflect on where do you feel threatened and intimidated? Um, Who are the enemies that you feel surrounded by? Where do you feel the shadows deepening? Where do you feel intimidated or bullied or overwhelmed by your enemies, by the powers of darkness? Um, I think it's good for us to name these enemies out loud to ourselves and to each other and to God. Um, But the big question for us is always, where will we look when we feel threatened for safety and comfort in the face of the forces gathered against us? Where where do we look for help? Um, And I want to leave you at the end with just one verse that I'd love you to carry into your week. Um, And it comes from that story in Exodus just before the people pass through the Red Sea. This is what God said to his people. Um, As Pharaoh's chariots and armies were closing in on them, he said to his people, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. I think that's a beautiful word for this time of year. Um, When you feel threatened, when you feel overwhelmed, um, be still. Look to the child in the manger 
Look to the man on the cross. This is the mighty God who's come to fight for you, for your freedom from everything that enslaves you, everything that intimidates you, everything that threatens your soul, and to take those enemies and to throw them into the heart of the sea and to lead you through on on dry land into the freedom of the children of God. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing one more time uh, before we finish. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this amazing mystery um, that the little child lying in the feeding trough is our mighty God, is the warrior God who has come to fight for us. Father, I want to pray you would help each of us uh, maybe to find the quiet in our own lives even today or this week, to reflect on the enemies, the darkness that sometimes surrounds us and threatens us, to name those enemies that damage our lives and often hold us captive. But Father, we want to pray more than that, that you would help us to lift our eyes and look to the child in the manger and the man on the cross. I want to pray you'd help us to believe at the core of our being that you have come to fight for us, to set us free, to lead us into freedom. Father, help us to learn what this means, that we only need to be still and the mighty God will come and fight for us. Father, I pray we would experience that even a a little bit in our lives this week, that you would come in power and set us free. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.